Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Spiritual Formation Concentration at Ozark is for those who want to learn how to lead people to healing and wholeness in Jesus. The purpose of the Spiritual Formation Concentration is to dive deep into God's Word and partner with the Spirit to experience the internal change that will lead to the external change of the world. So what are the next steps? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu slash masters. Hey everybody, this is Dave Stovall and you're listening to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. We've got Dave Beering back with us for his third track session at last year's forum. And he talks to us even further about discipling people within their vocation. This is something that I'm kind of new to, so it's really been mind-blowing for me. I hope it's been encouraging you and kind of opening your mind to it as well. It's just been some really incredible stuff here, and I personally can't hear enough about it. I'm especially fascinated with the way that modern churches are doing church. Not all about the Sunday morning production, but more about real-life community and small groups. Real encouraging. And make sure you stick around after the break because something really cool happens between the audience listening and Dave and what he's bringing and what he's talking about just kind of organically is happening right there in front of him. It's really cool. All right, let's jump in and hear from Dave Buring from Lionshare. Here we go. So good morning. So we want to um, begin in prayer and then we want to jump into how do we missionize our church um, into marketplace disciple making? And so I just want to be able to share some thoughts with you that start with church culture and then kind of break it down into some practical things. And then we can have some dialogue. Um, you know, I might pull Heather up here, um, you know, as a pastor who has a heart for these same kinds of things. So, but can we pray together? How about we stand since we'll be sitting for a few minutes? So, Lord, we give you thanks. And just we can say this sometimes flippantly, but we don't say it flippantly today that this is the day that you've made and that we can rejoice in it and be glad. Just rejoice that we woke up this morning and we didn't have to think about breathing. You built it in. We didn't have to think about our heart beating. We didn't have to think about our our eyes seeing, our ears hearing, the, the sense of touch as we picked up that cup of coffee. That you've, you've built all that into us. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for just the way we take that for granted. And this morning, we just paused to acknowledge all those little things, the providential things of God in our lives that you have done. And we worship you. We want you to know we love you. Our greatest affection, our greatest allegiance is to you, to your kingdom. And Lord, it's for that purpose we've gathered today. Lord, none of us, including myself in this room, have all the answers. We, we are just uh, learning together, and we just would ask that you would continue to bake on the insights you've already put in each one of us today through the things that are added. So God, would you bless our time? Holy Spirit, would you be present to lead and to guide? In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things I just want to um, present to you, it's something that uh, as a Lion's Share team we've worked through over the years. Um, you, you, again, depending how far away you are, you may or not be able to see this, but you're welcome to take a picture of it. It's, it this is also in the book out there, The Great Opportunity. But we've, we've, these are what we call our four disciple-making cornerstones. 
And they are the things to just recognize in different expressions of disciple-making, okay? All with the same end, growing people to look more like Jesus who reproduce Jesus. So I kind of start at 9 o'clock there with foundational disciple-making. There's a friend of ours here by the name of Grant Edwards that tagged this line. And foundational meaning grounding new, new followers of Jesus who are rooted in his character, ways, and mission. So, you know, Jimmy or, or Sally just gives her life to Jesus. And how do you right away plug them in? And you welcome them to the family, but you, you help them understand, okay, now that you're part of this family, let me show you how this works. Think about how often that's a swing and a miss for us. People come to Jesus and they flounder. And, and, and here's the thing we have to look at. The enemy is licking his chops because he knows he can't hinder them from heaven, but he knows he can hinder their God-given destiny being fulfilled. And we as a church need to be a little quicker to jump on this when someone gives their life to Jesus. So call that foundational Disciple-making. Then we have formational disciple-making, which is growing disciples of Jesus who reproduce God's character, ways, and mission in others. So it's growing people to the point of their lives being formed around the image of Jesus. They look more like him. They sound more like him. They know how to hear from him. They relate to people more like him. That kind of thing. We have our tool called a discipleship journey that's focused on formational. A lot of the organizations that are here have their own tool related to this, all right? Then vocational disciple-making, which we've been talking about here, is developing disciples who reflect God's character, ways, and mission in and through their vocation. In other words, that the way that they handle themselves on the job. Like, um, I'll say this now because I don't know if I'll circle back to it or not, but the relational piece that I always see missing in vocations is like, like, look at it this way. The number one way that you should be exemplifying Jesus in your vocation is how good of a relator you are to the people around you. Because what I see happen is I see people coming to work, sometimes bringing their Bibles in and kind of stashed, and they want people to know they're a Christian, and they're talking about their church on Sunday morning, but then they're cheating on the numbers. Or they're shortchanging somebody in a shipment. Like, what is that? That's not Jesus. And so the very first place we have to start is in vocations is being like, so, so let me just make a statement that I deeply believe. A follower of Jesus should be the best relator on the planet, period. Why? Because our God is the most incredible relator in the universe. And I know some of us are more taskers and some of us are more lent to relationship, but even Jesus' task of dying for us was about people. So even if we're taskers, we still have to make it in the end about people. So when we deal with vocational disciple-making, it's a great place to just start with people. Make sure they're a good relator. You know that, like, you want the boss not to say, geez, Louise, how long do I need to have you working here? You want them to say to you, if I had 100 people like you, right? That's what, that's what you want as an employee, all right? Is you want to be that guy, that gal that lives like that, Okay. So vocational disciple-making is that place where you're recognizing, here's where I spend that 40 to 60 hours a week. God's gifted me in these things. He's called me to this particular vocation. And we train people how to live in that as someone who reflects God's character, walks in his ways, and is still about his mission. Okay? And then there's leadership disciple-making, which is shaping leaders who reference God's character, ways, and mission in their lives and leadership. So one of the things that I have the privilege of doing these days is walking alongside leaders in different segments of society, including church life. And it's amazing to me how often we don't reference God's ways of doing things. Like, like not long ago, I was talking with somebody who was involved in building a new facility for their church. 
And he was telling me about it, excited about it. how much does it cost? I don't know, it was like 1.75 million, something. I said, that's, that's tremendous. So did, did you guys wait on the Lord about this? He says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, how did you get to the process that you know God sparked this thing? And he looks at me like, uh, he said, well, let me tell you how we got there. I said, okay, so basically they, they whiteboarded it, game planned, weighed the pros and cons, and moved forward. And so I said, okay, so let me just make sure you guys did the homework. He said, yeah, really well. I said, awesome. Did you take that homework then and get on your faces and fast and pray and say, Jesus, are you breathing life on this? Because you guys know this, unless the Lord builds the house, which, which could be anything that the Lord's building, those who labor, labor in vain. I said this yesterday, a phrase we use in lion's shares, what God initiates, he permeates, meaning with his presence, his leading, his guiding, his provision, what I initiate, I have to sustain. And so if you've ever wondered why I'm exhausted, it's because we might be pushing and carrying things that God never initiated in us. It's just our idea. Huge, right? It's huge. But if you don't teach a leader God's ways, and so it doesn't just apply to the pastor, it applies to everything, everybody. You know, when you are you waiting on the Lord? Dealing with artists here in Nashville, um, you know, it's like this is one of the things because for them it's like, here's an opportunity to get my brand out there farther, so I'm going to do it. And there was one artist I sat with that was exhausted because they said, can you, be on, can you be on Broadway and Beauty and the Beast? And can you have this album out? But she had like, she came to me and says, what am I supposed to do? I'm exhausted. And I said, have you ever waited on the Lord? No. Start doing that. <laughs> you know? and, and, and then another guy um, whose name you would know, he, he wanted to pioneer something up in Boston. He said, will you just go walk the streets of Boston with me? I feel like I'm supposed to do something musically up there. And and so I said, hey, I'm happy to do that with you. I love you. I'd love to do that with you. But can I ask you this question? Have you waited on the Lord? What do you mean? So it's my opportunity to explain what I mean. Like, have you taken the time maybe over several weeks just to, with you and your wife, your band, your team, and say, Jesus, are you leading us here? Uh, otherwise, it's just an emotion, a good idea. And he acknowledged, he said, no, we haven't. And he ended up waiting on the Lord, and the Lord actually said, no, that's not what I have for you. And instead, God's used him in the nations. Like he showed up in a Muslim world proclaiming the gospel and had huge favor. He was in Japan, huge crowds where he preached the God, Philippine, and, and now God's just given him unique favor in the nations. And it wasn't because anything was wrong with Boston, but that was his idea and not God's. Okay, so are we shaping leaders? So you guys, there's tons of great leadership stuff out there. But here's the question that, that I want to challenge you in. If you just make this little shift, you can go from just leadership training to actually discipling leaders in leadership things. So if, if you want to learn a little bit more about this, we, we have something we do January to June every year that's called a leadership journey. George helps me with it here. Betty Jo back there helps me with it. And what we do is we take it's usually a dozen to about 15 or 16 leaders, and from January to June, we do a retreat here in Nashville, Friday afternoon to Sunday morning, so people can fly in and out the same days. And then I ask you for five hours a week that you watch, read, and listen to stuff. And then every other week, we're on a call together where we process it. But we deal with, we begin with this question on our first retreat. I ask every leader who's from various areas of society, if you were the devil, how would you take you out? 
and most leaders I know because they're blowing and going have never stopped, but if we're all honest within 30 seconds, we can all answer that question. So I used to coach high school football, and so we'd always have watch the game film of the other team that week before we would play them. It's the same thing. It's you got to watch the game film on you. It's what's called self-scouting. Teams on NFL buys, that's what they do. The offense looks at the defense. The defense looks at, okay, what is your tendency? What do we need to change here? You need to self-scout. You need to ask yourself that question. If you were the devil and you were strategizing about taking you out, where would, you, where would he lean into you? What are those two or three areas? Well, if we don't disciple leaders to, to deal with those things, then you realize publicly how that thing just plays out and people are wondering, like, I've had that happen in churches I have a part of, like, so are you telling me that everything they ever said was just not right? It's like, no, 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 no. They walked in truth. This was an area of their life they didn't. It doesn't mean it cancels out these other things that they've taught you as a pastor, but this area of their life, in this person's case, it was a marriage, they, they didn't shore up their marriage and their personal life in that area. But the flock's just going, bah, you know, they're wondering, like, what, what the heck? See? So we just want you to kind of be aware of there's different kind of emphasis and different focuses on disciple-making, all right? Foundational, formational, vocational, and leadership, all right? That's kind of how we look at it. So let's get, let's get into your church here, all right? So whether you're a pastor or you're a vocational leader, I want you to be thinking about these things. What is the culture of your church? Okay, so culture are kind of the social norms, the relational behaviors, the customs, beliefs, habits, whether spoken or unspoken, of a particular group of people. That's a culture. I like what my friend Jack Minton, Jack uh, leads Hope Force and Hope Force and Lionshare office together literally just about eight minutes down the road here. And this is how he says it. He said, a culture represents what most of the people do most of the time. Isn't that a great way to get a snapshot out of it? Like, what do most of the people do most of the time? So think about your flock. What's most of the conversations about most of the time? You know, is it, is it a culture of obedience? Like, hey, George, you told me last week that God's been speaking to you about this, your heart, uh, his heart for the poor. What have you done with that? Like, how are you following? Or is it, do we never have those conversations? Like, what's the culture of your church? Okay. Does your church currently have an active and thriving disciple-making culture? Okay, is, is it, and here's how you, you can tell this. There's, there's this growth where you're seeing people growing spiritually, and it's, it's intentional. Like, like, I'm not the guy that likes the accidental growth. Oh, yeah. Like, what did you grow in this last 12 months? Um, I, I, I think I love people better. Okay, well, that's great, you know. I like to know, okay, where do you need to grow? I need to grow. I don't know how to hear God's voice as well as I like. I, I, I'm not as good of a relator as a husband with my kids as I would like, as a dad. I, I don't know at all about spiritual warfare, but I feel like I'm bumping into stuff that's pushing against me. Okay, well, let's, let's lean into those things. How about we guarantee within 6 to 12 months you've muscled up in those areas? See, there's intentionality to that. Okay, so where is the disciple-making culture of your church today? Is it, are there people multiplying? Like, in other words, that person has been so poured into that they're pouring into others. So, so be thinking about that. How about this? How do you view the 95% of your flock that serve in various vocations throughout society? Meaning the 5%, and I'm being generous, they're the 5% of your flock that are full-time in ministry. Like, how do you view them? Do you view them as, well, they're givers, they volunteer, because again, the focus is more on what I'm doing here 
than what I'm trying to equip people to do out there. Because Ephesians tells us we equip the people for the work of service. And that doesn't mean service in the church only. It means the service at where God's appointed them. Okay? How does that 95% view you in the church you lead? Do they view it as, well, you know, it's kind of, ah, it's, I wish we were doing more stuff to impact, but I need a community, so this is where, like, how do they view it? How do you view your role as a pastor, elder, church staff member when it comes to equipping the saints for the work of service? And how many vocational leaders in your church have you commissioned to where God's called them to serve? We talked about this yesterday, how there were, there'll be times that I purposely, when I was a senior pastor, that I would like to pull people up that were going into a new job and we laid hands on them, just like you do a short-term missions team or a missionary you send out, so that you're acknowledging the flock. Their calling is just as valuable. Their calling is just as important. Okay? So here's just a little way I like to look at this. So the convening mentality versus the mobilizing mentality. All right? So the convening mentality, which would you know, be our Sunday morning gathering mentality, it's, it's on this side, it's often building-centric. Now, as we learned yesterday, we're in dress rehearsal, right? For a bit of some change on this. And if any of us just are kind of longing to get back to normal, we're going to be in trouble. We're not going to get back to normal. We've got to say, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? All right? But has it been more building-centric versus impacting the community? Like, we are here to impact the community. Now, let me, let me just cheat and go ahead on a slide here, and then I'm going to come back because of this question. Here's a question for you to consider about your church. Would your community, your town, city, even notice if you as a church weren't there anymore? Like that's, that is, a, that is a awakening question for us. Like if our church was just gone, would anybody in the community go, hey, where did those guys go that, you know, they always came here to serve. They always were so loving. They, or would people just go, uh, yeah, I don't know. What happened? To, uh, I don't know. Like, are we, are we making that kind of difference, or are we so building-centric that nobody, nobody would notice? Program-oriented, and just know I'm not programs bad guy at all. I'm just saying, but the focus is more on the programs we're doing and all that versus relationships. Like, is the whole emphasis, i got to get you into my program. So we've got these five programs that are church. Which one do you want to be in? Are you focused on that? And I'm not saying that's bad, but don't be solely focused on, or are you relation? Is, is the whole thing of building a relationship, kind of seeing where that person is, what God's doing in their life, fanning the flame of that, okay? Are we come and gather or equip and release? You know, is our whole focus, like, you guys, so I'm just going to, I'm going to play on this, so don't misunderstand me. But the Sunday morning show is dying. It's dying, and we have to realize this. There's a church I'll be at up in Cleveland here in a few weeks, and they literally have made the complete switch to now Sunday mornings, everybody gathers in homes. And they said it is flourishing with community, discipleship, the fifth Sunday of every, or fifth, yeah, fifth Sunday of every month, because there's four of them in a year, they all do outreach. It's an automatic outreach day. Everybody goes into the community and does outreach. They meet on Wednesday nights for a meal, community meal together. They worship, they pray together. But, but they've made a complete switch. And they said, Dave, it's thriving. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. When we planted a church here in Nashville, that's how Cheryl and I started it, that same model. Because we wanted people to, to be in relationship, to be equipped, and to be released where God's called them to serve. Okay? So let me just say this for fun, because I'm going to talk to these guys about it. One of the dreams I've had, and pastors, this will stretch you a little bit, but... 
Which, could you imagine if you, whether you had home groups on whatever night of the week or you switched to a model more like this? Imagine if you said, okay, here's the deal. 20% of our budget every month goes back to the small groups to use for outreach. So let's just say that particular small group tithed and gave $5,000 know, out of that small group that month. You give them back 20%. Here's $1,000 for you guys to pray about what you're to use this for an outreach. You talk about people being engaged. I mean, could you imagine, because it could be everything, hey, you guys know that those people down the street are having a hard time paying their rent. What if we go pay it for them? Or, hey, you know, your daughter's trying to go to YWAM. What if we save this for three months and we, we say you match it and we'll match you that and we're going to send you to be a missionary? I mean, could you imagine just the fun a small group would have going like, so we get this, and imagine then the giving capacity of people in the small group going, let's give more so we get more back. And then you have to adjust your whole budget to 80% to function, but 20% is going straight back to the small groups who are rocking it on outreach. Could you imagine that? See? Um, on the left, growing in numbers versus discipling those present. Like, I don't think Jesus was always going, oh, I wish I had 100 disciples instead of these 12. I don't think so. He wasn't focused on that. He, he discipled those that were present. So, you guys, you can't, if we're dreaming more about, I wish I had my church was this size, and you guys, we're dreaming the wrong dream. Yeah. And we need to say, okay, God, how do I be faithful to disciple the ones here? Because what if one of the people in your church that you begin to pour into 15 years from now became known as the person that God used to change the entire nation of Iran, and they're more a Christian nation because of that person? I mean, see, that's the beauty of deciding. You don't really know the destinies yet. You don't know what God's going to... But, but he's saying, while they're on your watch, have you done everything to pour in God's character, his ways, and his mission into their lives? Okay? Addition versus multiplication. You know, again, there's the, the addition model of, okay, we, we added five people through baptism. We added five people through... Versus multiplication being the, the ramifications of disciple makes. And I don't have this chart with me here today, but, but there's a chart I have that looks like this. If we started with 50 people, okay, each discipling just two, not six, not 12, just two, well, you all kind of commit together. We're in, all of us. We lay hands on each other. We pray. A year later, we say, okay, now you 50, bring those two back. So now you have 150 in the room that have been discipled. You do the same thing. Are you 150 willing to find two? Yep. Well, the next year, they, there's 450. Big deal, right? Well, do you know if you play that out over 18 years, you've discipled 19 billion people? Which is, people always go, yeah, but that's way more than we'll have. On. Yeah, it is. It's double the amount that we'll have on the planet in 18 years. But I always, you know, leave it there because somebody always says, not everybody's going to do it. You're right. So even if half do, we can still get there. Like, like, guys, I sit in strategic meetings with the three-foot-by-two-foot sticky pad stuff all over the walls. Incredible strategies. But then I walk in, I go, okay, where's disciple-making? Because that's still Jesus' original plan to change the world. It's the great commission, not the great suggestion. And the reality is, if, you, if each one of us just focused on discipling two people a year in 18 years, the whole world, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. So we've got to get back to Jesus' strategy. This is why, the, and I don't know if you've thought about it like this, but this is why the devil works so hard at trying to not get us to disciple. He keeps us in our other spinning plates because he knows if they actually do this, they get dangerous. 
You tracking with me? So church, so often in our convening mentality, it's the church versus the world. Where in a mobilizing mentality, it's advancing the kingdom. How are we going to advance God's kingdom out there? Okay? Convening mentality is marketplace. People are the givers of our church. Okay? Where the mobilizing mentality is how do I make the marketplace people in my world effective disciple makers within the vocation where they serve? Okay? So just two very different ways to look at things. Okay? So we're considering our church's culture. We've got to look at that. All right? Again, let me just pause at this one. A question to consider, would your community, town, city even notice if you as a church weren't there anymore? That's something we, because like, guys, we're, we're here to glorify Jesus, to advance his kingdom. And if, and if the people around us in our communities that we're rubbing shoulders with, we don't have a relationship, they don't even know we're there anymore, not helpful. So you must identify your starting place to create a path to where you want to go. So that's why we're talking about this. You know? So like, for example, if you know, um, some of our team in this room said, let's do a road trip. Okay, where are we going? Let's go to San Diego. Well, until we realize in our starting place is Nashville, I don't know, are we going north, south, east, west? Where, where? I got to know my starting place because if I'm starting from Nashville, I know I'm going west and some south. If I'm starting up in San Francisco Bay Area, I know I'm going south. But you got to know where you are now. So you have to do self-analyzation so that you can figure out where you're to go in the future. Okay? So that's why I have these questions here for you is to be analyzing a bit where are we as a church and our culture. Okay, so let's, let's look at creating a new church culture. So over the years, the book of Acts has always been one of my favorite books since I was a late teenager, and it still remains that way today. And when I deal with pastors, we often talk about, you know, nickels and noses. You know, how many people are there? How many butts are in the chairs? However you want to say that. And then, you know, how much money's coming in? And we, we measure our growth by that. I would submit to you that's not how they did it in Acts. And I want to show you, I believe when you think of church life, there are four irreducible minimums. I don't think you can get it smaller than four. I'm sure if we brainstorm, we could add one or two. But there are four irreducible minimums of, of which you have to measure this. So let me, let me um, explain these to you by telling a story of a pastor friend here in Nashville that came to me and he said, uh, Dave, we're... He, it's not unusual for him to come to me and say, you won't believe it, Sunday morning, another person coming out of a wheelchair. I mean, for real. The, the presence of God just rich and real in their lives. But he said, but people aren't sticking around. and da, da, da. So, I, so I ran this by him. So I'll explain these. I'll tell you what I did with him. So I said, okay, uh, his name is Jeff. I said, Jeff, the presence of the Lord. Like, how, how can we be a church if people aren't experiencing God's presence? And yet you may have seen a survey it's about a decade old now, but the, when they were asked a gazillion amount of people the question, how many of you experienced God in church? Like where you felt God's presence? Do you realize eight out of 10 said, I've never experienced that? Eight out of 10 who go to church have said, I've never experienced God's presence throughout our country. God's, and, and then we know that could be through preaching, could be through worship and the nearness of God and worship. It could be through, through somebody just coming up and praying for you. It could be a new friend. I mean, you know, there's dozens and dozens that we can experience God's presence, right? But how real is God's presence in your congregation? So I asked Jeff. So I said, Jeff, let's just do this for fun. One to ten. One, not so much. Ten, awesome. Full of it. I said, so where are you on one to ten? He said, probably like an eight to nine. I said, no, I agree. Because when you walk in there, the worship is like, you just kind of want to get on the ground. Holy, holy. It's that. People come out of wheel, all that. So I said, awesome. 
And, I, and by the way, the aim is not tens. The aim is understanding your trajectory. Okay? I said, where are you in community? So I described community like the book of Acts. They laid down their lives for one another. They met each other's needs. They gave a rip about each other, all that stuff. He looked at me, he goes, a three. Okay? I said, what about disciple making? Where there's not just equipping classes, but there's intentional spiritual growth to the point that those people can reproduce. He looked at me and he goes, two. I said, okay. I said, what about outreach? where we're extending the kingdom beyond ourselves, both locally and maybe globally through going to the nations. And he looked at me and he went, one. And then he kind of gave me this goofy look and he said, are you telling me I'm pastoring a one-legged dog? <laughs> and I said, I said, no, I'm not telling you that. We laughed, but, but he was serious. He was like, is that? And then he said, could you meet with my elders on such and such night and do this same thing? So I want to see what they would say. They said basically the same thing. The numbers were just, the percentages were exact, but the numbers were a little different. And, I, and, and Jeff was like, oh my gosh. You guys, this is a great exercise. Again, evaluating where you are in light of moving forward. Nickels and noses can confirm and affirm some things, but the reality is if you don't have these four things functioning in a, in a growing way in your church, we're not going to get the results of a book of Acts. And so I just want to encourage you to, and that's my, you know, you might find a better way to do it, but for my way, it was a one to ten, just where are you? And so it's a, it's a measuring thing for me of just kind of say, okay, where are we? Again, not striving to hit the ten in our performance mode. It's just a reference point to say, where are we in health as a flock? And in Jeff's case, he realized we're awesome on presence. But on the other three, and I said, yeah, and by the way, if you wanted to be really good in one, that's probably the one you want to hit, right? <laughs> but I said, but he kept saying, why are people not staying? And why are people not growing? And why are we not extending the kingdom? Now he saw. And so he went back and said, okay, we've got to build better Velcro of community. How are we going to do that? We've got to be more intentional, our disciple-making pathway. We've got to be intentional in our local and global. They had a little more global than local going on. But if he said a one, he acknowledged it wasn't much. Okay? So as you think about moving forward and creating a new church culture, <clears throat> these need to be our measuring sticks, okay? Which is different than maybe other metrics we've been given in the past. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So here's just some thoughts. How do you create a new church culture? Well, it begins with seeking the Lord. You know, with your leaders via prayer and fasting and setting a season of time aside to say, okay, we're going to seek you over the next three months, Lord. 
You know, we're just going to ask people, hey, which day of the week are you going to fast? And whether it's a meal or TV or the day, whatever you feel like you're supposed to fast. And then we're going to gather once a week together to hear from the Lord. And then just over those three months, it's just a clean sheet of paper, letting God mark that piece of paper. Like, what is he saying to us? Okay? Initiate conversations with vocational leaders in your church. Ask them what God has put in their hearts to do for his kingdom where they serve in society. Like, it, like if you could shift this, so if you're a pastor, think about how you view outreach and missions. Imagine if you could shift this and you start thinking about every marketplace worker, vocational worker in your church as an outreach. And so you go to them, just like you'd say, hey, you know, you guys are working in Japan. What do you need? What do you need from us? You go to them and you say, hey, like, tell me what God's put in your heart for our vocation, for your vocation, like for our community. What's in your heart? Because you guys, those men and women have like great stuff. And some of it's just, I want people to feel really served. Awesome. Because, you know, customer service is actually a kingdom principle. We screw it up these days because we make, we got to have good, good customer service so people come in and buy. So just would you act right? Would you dress right? And, and so with business leaders, I will start with the question like, what is your bottom line? And I, I'm totally teeing them up. Because they'll say, well, this year it's uh, 7.5 million or 750, you know, and they go fine. I said, no, 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 no. What's your bottom, like, what's your heart? Well, what do you mean? And that opens up a conversation to say things like, do you realize customer service is a biblical concept? And the way that I like to say it is this, if you serve people well, they'll continue to come back and drink from your well. But is your bottom line, let's serve people through our, our resources, our products, let's serve people really well. For that, that's, that's your bottom line. It's not so they come back, because otherwise it cheapens all of it, okay? Ask them where they need to grow spiritually to help them accomplish what God has asked them to do. And just say, like, where, where could you, like, where would you like to grow that you feel like you see I have needs to be able to finish that mission that God's called me out there? Find out what those things are. It helps you shape what you're going to do with equipping and discipling. And then ask them how your church can come alongside of them in their mission. Like, imagine that. Imagine, like, if you viewed everybody that's out there as an extension of the kingdom of God, how do we get in behind that? It changes your whole paradigm of how you're doing church. And so guess what? It's not just when the people come back from Japan and they share X amount of people coming along. We started X amount of home groups. It's not just that. It's when you then have them come up on a Sunday morning and share the testimony of the person that was healed as they were walking through their laundromat. You're just setting up new laundry machines and this lady comes in and you can tell she's not good and you start helping her put her laundry in and you help her take and you say, are you, are you okay? No, I'm actually not, da 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 da. And can we pray for you? We believe in Jesus, we believe prayer, and boom, God healed, like, come on. The kingdom was just advanced in the laundromat, but that's not as spiritual to us sometimes as pastors because it doesn't fit in our program world. Are you guys tracking with me? I mean, this gives us a whole new, like, yeah, like, like Sean Holland, who wasn't able to be with us today, but he's on our board. Sean, when he was in a season of his life where he was focusing on discipleship, and that was a primary thing he was doing, he called me one day, it was late at night, but it was Sean, and so I picked up, I said, hey, what's going on? I know it's late, <laughs> you know, it's okay. And I said, what's going on? He said, I just called to tell you one thing, disciple making and pouring into people and seeing life more like this has made ministry fun again for me. Yeah. 
Okay, our goal isn't fun, right? But it's better than drudgery. <laughs> Praise God, I'm a pastor. Sucks, but it's what I'm called to, right? <laughs> we don't want to live that way. <laughs> and I, and I don't. And frankly, I don't see the disciples. You know, when they're doing the stuff in Acts, like, could you imagine when Peter and John walk in and said, you guys won't believe it. Remember how we laid hands on the sick? Now that Jesus is gone, it still works. I mean, could you imagine that first time? We silver and gold. You know, John and you know, they're looking at each other. Here we go, baby. Let's try this. You know, and all of a sudden the guy gets up and walks. And could you imagine? It still works. He's not here, but it still works. And and. For most pastors, I forget the number I heard the other day, but something like 1,700 pastors a month quitting. And, and there needs to be a freshening up of these kinds of things, right? So we need to think and pray outside the box. Let me just go for a couple minutes here, and then we'll do Q&A. So here's just some thoughts for you, thinking outside the box. Launching vocational teams within your church. We talked about this a little yesterday. Imagine the impact citywide local church vocational teams could make in your community. If you, if you built, like, like you have small groups, you also have vocational teams and where they have community, where they're getting discipled and equipped, where they're doing outreach together, you know, in, in unique ways that only they could. But, but imagine that if you had churches all throughout your city that thought this way. You do it first, work out the bugs, get it modeled, and then invite other churches and say, can we show you what we're doing? And they'll hear about it. And then imagine if... if the Baptist Church and the Assemblies Church and the Lutheran Church, and they're all working together on projects because they're pulling out some of their godly people who serve in these vocations, all right? Think, pray outside the box. Practical vocational applications added to Sunday sermons. Like when you're speaking on a Sunday, do you intentionally give illustrations? Like, so for example, let's say you're somebody that works in the media and you're talking about XYZ topic. Have you ever considered trying this? and just seeing what God would do with it. See, that's, that's one of the things you can do. Uh, making disciples within the workplace, all right? Like the people that you walk with, maybe consider starting a discipleship group, go through the boss, if you're not the boss, 7.30 in the morning, one day a week, and just say, hey, while you guys are in, because they're going there anyway. So while they're on their way into work saying, hey, 7.30 to 8.30, you know, we're all, we're all on the clock at 9, but 7.30 to 8.30 or 8 to 9, we're going to do this one morning a week. Nobody has to come. Anybody that wants to is welcome. Imagine raising up disciples that way, all right? Um, vocational testimonies about what Jesus is doing on the job. I just, I just illustrated that. Be intentional in your mind that once or twice a month you bring up a vocational leader and let them share their testimony. Just say, he got three minutes, but I know what happened. Like, can you imagine how that will spur on other people in their vocations to realize the kingdom is advancing through what I'm doing, not just when I'm in church, but 40 to 60 hours a week where God's appointed me to serve. Uh, vocational short-term mission teams. You know, there are still places in, in the world where there are uh, internet is not fully active in communities. Imagine if you had a tech team that they found one of those places in the nations and they just went out and they, their whole mission was to get that community connected so the kids could have educational opportunities, so they could be, you know. See, it's thinking differently. I had a friend who, um, in Albania many years ago, and Albania was full-on communist, and, you know, if you went in, you'd get killed. And he felt like God 
you know, led him to go in at a certain time where Albania was beginning to open up. There were martyrs and all kinds of things. And, and you know, the kingdom advances on the blood of martyrs. And, and the kingdom was advancing there in Albania. And my friend went in, and he was a government guy. And, then, and the next thing we know, he comes back to the YWAM base in Kona where I was. He says, you won't believe what happened. They are forming a new constitution. They asked me to sit in and help them shape the constitution for their entire country. Like, why not? Why not? But if you don't, if you don't think that way, you're not going to see those kind of opportunities till afterwards. Okay, um, online vocation disciple making communities. Like, like again, we all went on nuts online last year. So, have you ever considered just using that? Like, I'm thinking of the Schuler's Church in D.C. They have been talking about like because it's it's hard to get people together at six six thirty in the morning in the community where people work in D.C. because of the hours that people, because of the traffic. So they decided, hey, let's just try 6 to 7 in the morning. We'll all get on Zoom where we live. And some of them just live miles apart from each other. But they, they said, I'm going to get dressed. I'll be ready so that 7 I can have the door, whatever time it was. But they had an hour. And so think about that. How Now that people are more aware of this, I know a lot of people are like, forget it. I don't ever want to talk on that again. However, use it strategically. Use it strategically, okay? Um, planting vocational disciple-making churches. Okay, let's get outside of our Sunday go-to-meeting-in-a-building box and realize that if George starts a small group that's around discipleship in his business, he's actually planting a church if it continues to go. So instead of his pastor saying, well, that's awesome, but you know, they need to be here. No, they don't. He's now Pastor George. He's now tending a flock, and let's release him into doing that and throw a bunch of resources at it and people and prayer. We've got to look at it different. Um, workplace pre-discipleship via lives, lived, and principles. I, I love the principle of pre-discipleship, and here's what I mean by that. You're dealing with lost people that do not yet know Jesus, okay? But because of the way Christians live their lives, as we say here in the South, they say, I want to get me some of that. But see, oftentimes as Christians, we're not living our lives that way. Or because you're using this leadership principle, for example, um, we were talking about this at our board meeting the other day. When, when it comes to hiring people, whether on a church staff and a various vocation, God has his ways of doing that. And I would submit to you, it looks like this. It's relationship, then responsibility, then authority. So let me play on this a minute. If you don't build relationship with someone, have you ever noticed when it comes time to correct them, it's hard for them to receive it? You've got to build some level of relationship with them before you hire them. Is there Velcro here? Is this a good thing? Then think of the word responsibility through this understanding, response-able. Are they response-able to you? So when you say, hey, could you go do this for me? Do they respond well to you? Are they response-able? And it's only after relationship and response-ableness that you give them authority, meaning the right to author anything. But see, here's what we do because of our need. We skip the relationship, we skip the response-able, and we give them authority. And then when you go to say, hey, that's not what I meant. I don't want it done that way. They go, well, what are you talking about? You told me to do it. I'm doing my job. And then before you know it, it's a blow-up. Relationship, responsibility, than authority. And you know it says in Timothy, deacons, test them first. There's response-ableness. Then give them authority. We've got to change our methods of this because sometimes we just use people to get our need met. 
rather than developing them in the right way, okay? Um, get prayerfully creative with your team. Obviously, the Lord can, you know, unveil all kinds of, of ways. I remember Mandisa, when she was doing the American Idol tour, she had a discipleship journey group on her tour bus. And so the Christians that were in the American Idol tour that year, they would have once a week a discipleship thing on the tour bus where they're driving to the next city. Creative. God coming up with ideas. Okay? All right. So let's just do a little question and answer. Heather, um, would, you, would you mind just maybe... So Heather, Heather and I have walked with each other for about 20, 21 years now, and she is a very respected pastor, communicator at her church at National, Christ, um, National Christian Community in D.C., <laughs> She works with Mark Batterson, if you're familiar with Mark and some of his writings. Heather, like just like two minutes, so we have a little questions. Like what, what, what are you guys doing? What, what are you wrestling with as a church in this kind of realm? Why don't you just come up just a minute? And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but just to kind of let a pastor kind of give some response to this. Yeah, well, we're right in the heart of D.C., so really easy. Peaceful, you know. Um, our church, I mean, we, on any given, this is a snapshot. Um, there was one Sunday when I turned around during the greeting time, and I shook hands with a guy who was running campaign for one of the Republican presidential candidates. And right behind him was someone in our church who was running for president on the Democratic ticket. So that's the world we live in. I was like, oh, are they gonna shake hands with one another? Do they know who each other is? Um, and so we really want to, like, we believe our role is to disciple people in the ways of God to relate to one another well. If we could just restore civil discourse as just a first step, hmm. <laughs> you know, we see that as a big win. So we have a couple of environments where we're trying to do this first. We have. Um, a group called Freshmen of the City, in which we're trying to disciple 20-somethings in the ways of God when they come to D.C. We realize that when students go to college, there's a ton of freshman orientation to orient them to how the university works and to set them up to win well, and yet 20-somethings are coming in droves to D.C., and there's nothing to orient them to the city. And they, get, they come with high, with good character, with a high like passion and drivenness, and they want to change the world, and that pressure cooker of that city will crush them within weeks if we don't help them have a worldview that helps them understand how the ways of God apply to the world that they're walking in. So Caleb here actually is helping lead our freshman city environment this semester, so if, if that could be helpful. Mm. Um, you can talk to him, but we, I mean, it was just last week, you talked about calling, passion, and giftedness, right? Like how to walk in the ways of God in whether you're working on the hill as an intern or you're coming here to pursue your master's degree or you're here as a young attorney. Um, we just launched a new disciple-making environment called Commissioned, and, and we, we called it that because we wanted people to know you are commissioned. This is not a group you come to check off a box to learn some things. You are commissioned to go out. And the language we use at NCC is becoming a student of the words of Jesus, an imitator of the ways of Jesus, and a partner in the mission of Jesus. Those are the three things that you are called to take into the places that you go. 
Um, and then one of the things we try to do, you talked about like giving testimonies within sermons. We like to just tell stories because sometimes stories are disarming. Yeah. It's one thing to get up and teach principles, but when you just show a story, that communicates um, in ways that get to people's hearts. It bypasses the logic a little bit. And um, we have a small group uh, that meets on Capitol Hill. It's Hill staffers, Republican and Democrat. And we just shot a video about the co-leaders who are on opposite sides of the aisle. And we just shot a video about their testimonies, showing that group around the table, and talking about how they've walked in that space and learned to pray for one another and love one another. So it, it would be one thing for me to get up on a Sunday morning and talk, you know, Democrats, you guys need to do this better, and Republicans, you need to do this better. It's another thing to just let these people that are actually walking in that world tell their story and let that light shine. And so those are some practical ways that we're trying to figure out how to do it. Thanks, Heather. Heather's going to join me, by the way, for our next session. Yeah. Um, at 11, we're going to do a session on uh, how do you disciple people through the hot topics of the day. And so we want to share principles like what she just shared of that you can reference. Because we're finding a lot of people who are like, I don't know what to say. What do I do? How do I, you know, help them think? And Mel, Mel will be joining for that, uh, that conversation as well. So, all right. So questions. We've got about... Uh, 10 minutes or so, what kind of questions do you have? I'm, I'm hoping that some of this is stimulating in you fresh thoughts, reaffirming thoughts that you've already had, but, but what are questions that you might have on this? Yes, sir, can, again, come up this way so you can ask it into the microphone and that way everybody who listens to this afterwards has heard you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, first, thanks for everything, really appreciate it. Um, I love the, uh, the idea of the four new metrics, if you will. Yeah. How do you have ideas on how to actually measure those? Because mm. a lot of it feels like, yeah, we think we're doing well on this and surveys, and those are fine. Yeah. But are there metrics that you can apply to those? Thank you. So you're talking about the presence community, those four? Yeah. So I think the reason I don't get too nitty gritty into that, because I find every church is different and how they measure this. But like for me, like if I think of our church, um, you know, presence, I would say, okay, how, how are people responding to worship on Sunday mornings? That's because that's one of the strong places for us in our church of people feeling and experiencing God's presence, the nearness of God. I would measure how are we doing on that? And it's not by, hey, did you count how many hands were raised? That's not what I'm saying. You know, you, you, can, you can just get a sense of are people encountering God? Because by presence, that's what I mean. Where are people encountering God? Are they in our Wednesday night equipping classes? Are people, um, you know, encountering God in the way that we're teaching, in the understanding that we're giving them? Are we creating an environment, like one of the things, so Joe's our new men's guy, and, and I helped with our guys for a number of years, and one of the ways I measured community was when I said, um, okay, guys, hey, Joe, can you close us in prayer? And Joe walks up, and he closes us in prayer, not this Joe, another Joe. And and then we're done. I would watch to see how long guys would just hang versus just rush out the door. And, and I could tell you that sometimes 40 to 50% of the guys were still there 20 to 30 minutes later. It showed me that we were cultivating some community that they, didn't, they weren't just in a hurry to rush out. Okay? So you, you just have to, you have to look at this. It could be in community like how, how many practical needs of people are we meeting a week, a month? Um, I think with disciple-making, that's an easy one for me. The easy one for me is, 
Are they being discipled and then are they becoming disciple makers? Like where are they in that pathway? Okay, so, so they're either being discipled or they're becoming in the process of or they are now actually discipling people. And again, when I ask most pastors the question like, what percentage of your people are actually making disciples? It is rare. Like, I, I'm just being honest, really rare if I ever hear more than 5 to 10%. Like, it's just rare. So when I hear somebody say, ah, we're more like about a third, it's like, so then I'll say, okay, so let me get this straight. You're telling me one-third of your people are actually have been discipled and are now pouring into others, making disciples. Yeah, that's right. Like, shout to the Lord, you know, because you, you just don't hear that very often. Okay? So that's an easy one to kind of measure. And, um, you know, there's tools, there's different things like, you know, you're coming to a place here where there's all kinds of stuff on this. Um, you know, outreach too. You know, you can measure this by, you know, how many people did we mobilize locally to serve? Again, if you're viewing, if you can change your paradigm and view vocations as extensions, they're outposts of your church, that changes the way you look at measuring how effective are, are we in our community. And you lay hands on that person and you, you know, commission them into that area of society. Well, then it's like, let them report, let them give feedback to it. But I, I don't like to get too nitty-gritty on those because I've realized working with churches, everybody's a little different on how those metrics. But, you know, if you can come up with three, four, five for each of those that you talk through as a team, staff, eldership, say, what does this look like to us? And it's not just the, again, I'm teasing, but how many hands are raised, outside, but, but encountering God? You know, that's what we're looking for on that kind of thing. That's a great question. Thank you. Can you come and ask it in here? Yes, Good morning. My name is Mary Catherine, and my first comment is thank you so much. Um, I've been walking this way with the Lord for many years. I oh. was saved, be born again in a small group from a work car league. Wow. My undergrad was in chemistry. She was an engineer that worked with me. Invited wow. to small groups, people, women, background, and I was amazed at her brilliance. You know, she's an MIT person, black woman. But she was so gracious, all family's gracious, and just led me to the Lord and discipled me. Wow. And I've had that grid since wow. I went way to school, the Lord taught me how to pray, intercede, corporate America, big, you know, multi million dollar stuff. So that whole discipleship of seeking the Lord's presence, and now I'm doing that, you know. I'm wow. That on. Uh, and some of the people right now, because of COVID, um, I have, there's a lady I've been type disciple say for the past 15 months and we never met face to face. So my question is, I'm passionate about it. I know the Lord's in the midst of it. I think it's really more holistic, integrated way of yep. living Christ-like in the yep. kingdom. But I find that, you know, I can disciple and equip them and things like that. But it's like, where do I send them? I mean, I think it's great people are here, but I'm in Columbus, Ohio. And in my understanding, churches are really not there. There's a great gap, you know, and like you said, you know, that you get people who pray. Some people feel they have to work in a church ministry before they can fulfill their calling. And I'm like, I've had to disciple, you know, ladies who are attorneys and stuff, you know, God calls us and we need to embrace that. And, and sometimes it's just about the content of the message on Sunday. It's always about serving and doing activity within the building and not about how do I walk with Jesus in my vocation marketplace. So my question is, how do I get, you know, or help pastors who may not have this vision and or equipped and disciple this way 
So as you know, you're going out making disciples, they have a place to go. Yeah. And be affirmed in the things that God. Tell me your first name again. Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine. So so I just pastors are here. Do you hear this? Yeah. And people want to know. I mean, they want to because I mean, I, I'm teaching, I teach, um, people want to know purpose and meaningfulness of life. And part of that is 40 hours a week on their job. Yeah. They want to have meaning and sense yeah. of purposefulness. And so you can do the thing individually, but and you can do it in small groups, which is what I do. I help with that. Yeah. But I would like to be able to be part of a greater community where they can be affirmed in the vision and the partnership with their pastors. Yeah. In the ministries. And that just, I mean, and I've seen like Dr. Paul, Stevens from region in Canada, he talks about the, how the church has abdicated, has, has it not taken mm -hmm. its place. Mm -hmm. And the marketplace is one of the greatest opportunities for evangelism. Yeah, It's one of the greatest places of harvest. So I'm just asking that question. I'm glad that folks are here. But I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm finding that, okay, where can I send them? And I'm not, you know, I'm not being called to plant a church. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, being the church, you know, people being the body of Christ. Yeah. And where can they go to be affirmed in the things that they're learning? Thank you. Uh, like, I should have just had you come up and share this. We get it closed in prayer right after you were done. <laughs> but I just thank you, Mary Catherine. That is awesome. And, and, you know, just make sure you meet Darren there, too, so you know Darren and how we can help you as lion share. But also know Darren lived in Columbus for a while, so he might be able to help you there, too. Yeah. I'm from Columbus, and we have the Discipleship Network for Columbus. Uh, well, there you go. Look at this. <laughs> cross-generational, cross-denominational, and uh, really strong marketplace presence. Uh, we've got 70 business leaders from 25 churches that meet together every week. <laughs> and notice where they're sitting. Like, is this not just an awesome deal? Hey, Heather, can you just do it? take a picture of the two of them? Hey, you guys, just stand up. Let's say, let's, or no, don't stand. Sit where you're sitting. And I'm just asked Heather to take a picture of you guys. Because this, this is a moment. Like, this is a divine and we're all getting to experience this. Like, guys, this is presence, right? So this is another example of presence that God just, like, who knew? That's awesome. Make sure you meet Darren as well so we can. Definitely. Yeah. We have, uh, our, our passion is really to see the next generation disciples. So how do we pair older, wiser marketplace leaders with younger ones that are coming up and trying to start businesses and they're believers and they're just kind of very open? So, so seeing the next generation raised up, that's part of our mandate is how do we raise up leaders in the city and the church, you know. Tell um, me your first name. Doug Frank. Doug. So, yeah, so Doug, let's, let's chat afterwards. And so, so you guys, let me say this because I, I want to give you your break before we jump in. Um, so if you would like, you're going to get a, a lunch served um, at noon today, a box lunch somewhere here in the atrium. If you would like, feel free to pick up that lunch and come back in here. And we want to share with you some vision of where we're going in light of some of the things we're talking about. And Doug, one of the things, like you have no idea what you just said in light of our board and our team being in here, we are, there's something that we're looking at wanting to launch called the Leadership Games. And what it is, is a, it's getting 40s to 70s in their vocations to disciple the 20s and 30s. And so if you get a chance, come back at lunchtime because we want to talk about that. Pick up your lunch and any of you can come back. But you guys, if we don't start discipling the 20s and 30s by beginning with the 40s to 70s, it ain't going to work. So we, we have to. And, and Kent, 
who sat up here yesterday, this chaplain's theater, he said, Dave, the, I grew up under 40 to 70-year-old spiritual leaders in, in churches, and a lot of the 20s and 30s are asking different questions. Mm -hmm. So we've got to hear from people like Heather, who's done great study on understanding boomers and next-gen and millennials and Zs. And, and if we're going to disciple 20s and 30s, we have to understand them better and realize that if we just say, this is how you do church, it's going to be a swing and a miss. And we're going to get to learn, too. We're going to get to learn, too. All right, so pick up your lunch, come join us, and, and we want to share with you a little bit bigger vision of how I think we can really make this a reality. All right, thanks you guys for being here today. Hey, and by the way, as you're out the door, if you're interested, uh, we just launched this week a brand new app that has 366 devotionals on the character of God, two minutes a day. So it's something if you have people in your flock that need to have a different understanding of God's character, they cover, we cover 101 of them three to four days each over a year. So it renews someone's mind about what God's really like. So Lionshare Leadership Group on your app, app uh, store. Thank you. Heather.